Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're having a chat with a guy who's a little bit of a badass on the barbecue. Hey family, hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. In today's episode, we're having a chat with Mikey from, uh, or, or Big Willie as he's known, from Badass Barbecue, Michael Wilcox. It's going to be a ripper of a time, but before we get to that, I've just got a couple of announcements that I need to run by you first. The first is you need to keep the weekend of June 26 and 27 free. Smoking Hot Confessions is going to be putting on Barbicon. And to our knowledge, it's the world's first virtual barbecue conference. So all day Saturday, we're going to be running different presentations from different pitmasters from around Australia, um, teaching you how to cook all sorts of different stuff there, you know, briskets, pulled pork, all that sort of good stuff. And the second day, we're going to be dedicated to businesses. So we're going to be talking with successful barbecue business owners about how you can grow and you can develop your businesses as well. So that's going to be June 26 and, uh, 26 and 27. Make sure you keep that weekend free. It's going to be a really good time. Now, the next things that I need to tell you is that if you are at the start of your barbecue journey, we do have our Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue available for you. It's a free mini ebook. It's over on the SmokingHotConfessions.com website. Have a bit of a look at the website. Have a bit of a click around. A pop-up window is going to appear. You can put your details in there, and then we'll shoot that little uh, ebook straight out to you. Next, do come join us at the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Community over on Facebook. It's a group, it's all about barbecue, we leave all the rubbish at the door, and we just hang out and talk about Q. It's a really friendly, really nice bunch of people, and we'd love for you to come join us, so let's make sure we see you there. Now, if you are joining us on YouTube today, give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit that little notification bell. If you're watching the replay later on on Facebook, give it a like, a share, and a comment, and do make sure you follow us as well. If you're on IGTV, we love those cute little love hearts and a, and a follow. And if you're listening to the Apple Podcasts audio version, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review because that sort of stuff really does help us out. Okay, so now Big Willie from Badass Barbecue. These guys are incredible. He's one of the founding members of that team, and they were one of the first barbecue teams in Australia. They've competed internationally. They've got a really successful business with rubs, injections, and classes all around the country. They do heaps of stuff. They help a lot of other teams out along the way. They do a whole lot of mentoring and all that sort of gear. And we're going to get into that today with Big Willie. So I think that's probably all you need to hear from me. I think it's time to get Willie in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Willie, how are you, mate? It's good to see you. Good mate. Good intro. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've practiced it a couple of times. That's right. I was going to say, I haven't seen it just yesterday. <laughs> good as gold. Um, no, nah, thanks for having me on, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it, it's going to be a ripper. So, mate, tell us what was the last thing that you barbecued? Um, last thing I barbecued was at a little class we did at a place called Kelly's Meats in Turidan, near Cranbourne. Um, and the last thing in that class, we did a couple of tomahawk steaks. We did one branded one from JBS and another one from Tees. Uh, and it was quite interesting to have two similar cuts or two the same cuts, have them from two different producers, uh, two different processes, two different brands, but they were both grass fed and they were um, quite interesting to try, try the differences. So that was the last thing I cooked. Um, and that was on a trailer down there at uh, Kelly's. 
Yeah, right. So what, what differences did you notice between the two different producers? Look, one, you clearly see the one was more, more marbled. Um, and look, I won't mention names, but it was quite interesting to see two. And look, I think they were both, they both, uh, the, the product was, it was Angus beef. It came from, um, Victoria. So, you know, it was as close as you could get to sort of a level, level playing field. But, um, one definitely had a more earthy sort of flavor. Um, both beautiful pieces of meat, but you could just just subtle the difference in 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 the in the flavour, and maybe that's maybe the the sort of the grass they're eating or what have you. But um, yeah, like I said, it was quite interesting, and that's not something you get to do every day, especially with something like a tomahawk. Yeah, we um we went four wheel drive camping out in the in the hinterlands here in the Christmas holidays in the school holidays, and um, there's a cattle station that they've converted into a four oh, well they've added a four wheel drive park to it as a as a new revenue stream yeah. and they've got a big old um uh cool room trailer there and you can go in there and you can buy all these tomahawk steaks from the cattle that are on the that are on the cattle farm there and um yeah you get to go you get to go pat them in the field and then eat them for dinner and uh we we did a big tomahawk and it was um there was very little marbling in it so the the texture wasn't super great but the flavor was incredible it was just so yeah. beefy well and i think i do think that people have They've obviously got an interesting relationship with where their food comes from, in a sense. A lot of people don't want to know where they're, you know. But others are quite quite interested now, and I think not so as far to go as a day in the life of Bessie the cow. Bessie gets on a truck and goes goes to market, but maybe around just you know learning more about the product, particularly the producer. So a lot of people really want to know, you know, who's growing this stuff. Um, so yeah, no, it's good. A lot of that sort of stuff's popping up. I think we'll see more of it. Yeah, it's the uh, the whole paddock to plate movement is is quite yeah. fascinating. Now yeah. you mentioned that you did that cooking on a Traeger. Um, I, th- I think the last time I saw you guys, you were cooking on big green eggs or uh, something similar. It, yeah. it was red though, so it couldn't have been a big green egg, but it was a red Kamado style. So tell yeah. us about the Traegers. So look, the Traegers. I think um, when people ask ask or ask me what what sort of barbecue should I get, rather than asking what you know how much money they've got or anything like that. I talk to them about how much time they've got. And Traeger's being, Traeger's Green Mountain Grills, the pellet grills um, are true set and forget cookers. Uh, whilst you're still cooking out a live fire, you're still cooking over, you know, a, a solid wood so, uh, sauce. That That is, in my opinion, you know, the way to go if you're a bit short on time. You've got kids or, you you know, you play sport or, you know, you can still cook a brisket, but you don't necessarily have to be right there and then. However, it's not for everyone in the sense that some people like burning wood, some people like lighting a fire, um, the, the fire bug in all of us. And, and that's one of the reasons why I got into this style of cooking. I think, um, you know, you probably want to go something a bit more manual, but certainly, you know, I'm a big advocate for pellet grills. Back in the day, it was very much a, you know, there's a lot of people out there that didn't like them. <clears throat> um, you'll recall that, you know, people saw them as electric barbecues, so they, they shouldn't be allowed to be used in competitions and the like, but. I think as people went on, they went from resenting them to going, how good is this? I don't have to stay up all night. I can, you know, cook things while I sleep. Yeah, I think we started to see a bit of an uptick in the in the barbecue scene in terms of the quality of the hand-in boxes once people yeah. started switching to pellets and drums because they were able to get some more sleep. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, fair enough. I mean, you want to be sort of spending your time on the chopping board, particularly at competitions, even, but even catering and things like that. 
you, 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 the real work is done in the last hour of a 12-hour cook. So you don't want to be tired for that. And the more time you can spend on focusing on that, um, I think the better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to quickly pop this up because uh, the gentleman can't stay with us long. Brett's down at the beach. He just wants to say good morning to you, Willie. He, he oh, can't watch it live with us. He's, he's got the kids down at the beach. Excellent. Now, good to see the boys up there in Queensland. We've got a lot of good friends in Queensland. So, you know, you've got the, uh, the early early adopters who we met early on, sort of the country boys, Dan and the like, then right through the Flaming Mongrels and, and Mafia boys. I've got, yeah, some really good friends up in, in Queensland. That's one of the great things about barbecue is sort of the network you build and the, the friendships you make through, through your journey. Yeah, that's interesting that uh, that you mentioned Country Boys because they're actually down in South Australia. Dan's gone all the way down to to SA to compete it up in Smoke, which is phenomenal. I'm surprised they let him in, to be honest. Um, I, I I wouldn't have, but uh, good on him. Looks <laughs> like that Lucas and Shane, who who are from Sydney and, and Wodonga, um, those boys do some case. You know, it's not uncommon for them to drive halfway across the country just to do one steak hand in, but um, Again, that's how you meet people and you get around and see the countryside. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, give us the uh, the the story of Badass Barbecue, and and we'll go right back to the start. I understand that you have a bit of a long family connection to the barbecue industry in Australia. Is that right? A little bit. Yeah. So, how I got into it, uh, my grandfather Bruce Wilcox out of Port Macquarie um, had uh, one of the first barbecue school franchises outside of the city. So, I was lucky enough, in a sense, to have the new cookers, live fire cookers, charcoal barbecues quite early on um, when we were growing up. That's all we cooked on uh, just as a byproduct of grandfather having a, a barbecue shop. So that got me interested in to, you know, live fire cooking and, I'll, you know, never aspired to be a chef, but I love cooking at home. Then uh, in about 2000, I always get this date mixed up, but I'm going to say 2014, there was a barbecue contest down in, in Melbourne. And I said, we've got to be part of this, not really knowing what was going on. So Michael Rose and a few others, we all got together, filled up a Hertz van with all these cookers. At the time, we were cooking on Pro-Q bullet smokers, and we drove down to Melbourne. Now, we got to Melbourne and thought, this is great. You know, we set up all our, our gear, we're under a marquee, and it just started down rain. And we're talking rain like you've never seen it. Down at, down at the markets in Melbourne, and there was just water everywhere. But we're all like, how good is this, you know? Sunrise were over there doing a live cross and there's media everywhere and there's all these people and, you know, we, we're sort of new to this, but we really didn't have any idea what we were doing in a competition sense. We tried to practice but didn't really know what we were doing. But as the day went on, it just poured rain and then all night it was raining. So by the next morning when we hadn't had any sleep and, you know, we're sort of disinterested by it at that stage, we're like, let's never do this again. So we started packing up. And from memory, uh, Adam Rothwell from Texas Barbecue bought Rosie's offset, Silver Creek offset, all the way down. And I remember trying to get into the truck, or we were trying to get that somewhere at the end, and it was just an absolute nightmare. But anyway, we got to the presentation. Once again, we're never doing this again. That's it. We've had enough. And we got a couple of call-ups. I think, I think we won, won a little bit of money and a couple of trophies. So then we're like, how good is this? Let's go to the next one. We want to do this every weekend, you know? So... We then started trying to enter as many competitions as we can. From there, um, 2016, when Mitch joined the team, um, who is a qualified chef, gave us that little bit of extra, uh, I guess, presentation skills and cooking methods that allowed us then to win the um, Yaks event in Sydney. 
which then goes right. into the 16 to the, the Jack, which everyone aspires to compete at, um, top 100 teams from around uh, the world. So that was good. Uh, competed up there and once again flew over, flew our meet over. Anyone that's familiar with the story, Qantas lost our meat. Our whole trip was <laughs> this certain brand of beef. Anyway, all, all worked out in the end. But rocked up, didn't know what we were doing, didn't have the right gear. We sort of we did did, did the best of what we had. Um, and again, probably towards the end of that one, like, let's not cook overseas. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. <laughs> we got you know fifty or sixty or something like that. So um, we were quite happy with that, and that's that's when we went right. This is this is the best. So I think my cameras just changed. There we go. Yeah, I'm not too sure what happened there. Eh? You got two no. cameras hooked up or something. Oh, I've got one. One's in my computer here, my yep. little laptop, and then the other one's up there. But anyway, that's all right. This works. Yep, yep. We'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's my journey. Everyone's has a different story, but you know, I thought when I was getting into it, into competition barbecue, I never thought I'd make the friends I have and get to see the country like I have. You know, the, the latter part we, we were doing classes to you know, educate people. And that's one of the very rewarding parts of, um, of I guess my journey is being able to show people how to cook um, and show people who are new to barbecue, who really want to get into it, who perhaps don't have a lot of money and can't, you know, buy that Traeger set and forget cooker. They, you know, want to start off on a Weber. So showing those people is very rewarding and satisfying. Um, and I encourage anyone who wants to do it, do it. It's great. Yeah, no doubt. There's definitely a lot of yeah. uh, opportunities to, to, to give back in the scene, which is fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, now, you, you mentioned that you went from, from Yaks to the Jack. Um, yes. Just a quick point on, on Yaks. What happened to those competitions? They seem to be going really well, and then they just sort of disappeared. Do you know anything about that? I don't. Yeah, uh, look, I don't know the full story. Um, Matt and uh, I can't remember his wife's name who ran them did, did a fairly, you know, I thought they did a really good job, I think. You know, they, they were well supported by the teams, are well supported by the punters. There was a storm at one of them, which is out of everyone's control. Um, and that storm pretty much shut down the event mid-afternoon. Now, All right. Yeah, so that was the last one that happened in Sydney. And I think thereafter it sort of didn't, didn't, um, didn't go again. Speak to anyone who's run an event. It's not easy. There's certainly not a lot of money in it um, for the promoter. You know, you've really got to have a passion to do it. Um, meat stock, obviously the most successful franchise in the country. Obviously with COVID and everything, it's, it's very hard to run events. Um, in fact, you know, I'm down here in South Gippsland in Victoria. All I want to do is run a barbecue contest. I've been probably been to more than most. And even like, I don't know where to start. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be quite a daunting task. Yeah. Um, now, as, as well as the Jack, you've also been to the Royal, haven't you? You cooked at the Royal? The American Royal, yes. So the American Royals, uh, again, the Jack was was big in the sense that it was it had a big spectator following. It was the top hundred teams from around the world. They always select one Australian team. We were lucky enough to go. Um, the 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 Royal is completely massive compared to the Jack. It's eight hundred teams. It's in Kansas City in the Speedway. Oh wow! Um, we were lucky by that point. So that was two thousand and eighteen. I think I'm right here. So 2018, so by that stage, a lot of the, the other Aussie teams were competing in, in America. So when we went over there, we had friends. You know, we had guys who could borrow stuff off. Um, 
we had guys like Dan Barrett who we could lend stuff to because he literally <laughs> was it. You know, so it was great. It was really cool to be able to go over and have what they do. They would put all the Australian New Zealand teams together. So we had a little, you know, and we, we did talk about it at the time. Um, next time we all go, you know, we'll set up Camp Australia, put the flags up and all that stuff because it is a bit of a party, that event. Um, so it definitely makes it easy when you've got other blokes there to give you a hand. Like I said, when Mitch and I went to, to the Jack, we didn't know what we were doing, you know. We just rocked up and, you know, we got an RV and we think, you know, we didn't even know where to go. So um, I think in more recent times, it's great when you can go over there and compete with other people. And, you know, you've got um, a bit of local support when, you, when you're over there. Yeah, that's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. And how did you go at the, at the Royal? Um, the Royal, I actually don't remember, but look, we did okay considering. Um, we did miss a hand in. We were faffing about in the tent and we missed uh, the Paul Candon on the first day, which was um, very unfortunate. But, you know, um, you never really go to those things to try and try and win. You obviously try and do as, as well as you can. But when there's 800 teams and hundreds of judges, uh, it's, it's probably pretty tricky to sort of, you know, expect to, to land in the top, you know, 50 or whatever it might be. However, I, I always criticise that too many judges, too much margin for error, but the same teams win every time. So, you know, it's it's you can criticise and say, oh, the, the judging system must work because the good teams always win. You don't get these wild cards. Like, Badass Baby in Australia just won two categories, how good. It doesn't happen like that. It's, you know, it's your top-name guys that win repeatedly um, at those sort of events. So the system must work. Yeah, I I dare say so. Yeah. So was it the Jack then that you won all those awards? Uh, so the Jack we ended up. So the Yak Sales we won Grand Champion to be eligible to go to the Jack, and that so so that was that was the entry ticket. So you had to have won a KCBS event in Australia to go into a ballot, which then you potentially could go into the into the draw for the Jack. Um, so it was quite complicated, that process. We won it, so we were lucky. Um, and then we, we did win some, um, we did win some, I think we won some ribbons at the Jack for sort of those ancillary categories. We didn't actually pick up any trophies there. But again, that was probably one of the hardest things we've had to do is compete outside of a suitcase in another country. Um, very tricky. It was uh, yeah, quite interesting, actually. A good learning experience. But now that we've done it once, we've been back to the Royal, we could do it again a lot easier, and we've got a lot more friends over there too. Yeah, the uh, it, it's always a lot better the the more times you've uh, you've done it. Just it's just basic common sense practice. Um, yeah. Okay, so what then would you say has been your best competition experience? Australia, international, New Zealand. I I, I think I saw you've been over to New Zealand for a couple of meat stocks over there. Yeah. Um, what's been your your favourite or your most fun competition experience? Uh that's a good question. Um, put me on the spot there. Look, uh, I've always liked Meatstock Auckland. Great bunch of people over there. It's always good fun. Um, I don't know that uh, I've got a, a specific moment or event or event that we went to that I said I really enjoyed, but um, I used to like going to Bangalore. Um, this weekend, up in smoke, I, I would have gone over, but uh, unfortunately we're going to be in Sydney tomorrow, so... Bit too much traveling for one weekend, but I, I do think, um, I do like the idea of going to those sort of events each year and watching them change. So 
Bangalore Bluegrass was a fantastic event. Like you, you've been to a few of those. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, really, I used to do a little bit of judging there and the like. I never competed there. But uh, I think those sort of events halfway up New South Wales were good because you get a good selection of Queensland teams and a good selection of New South Wales teams. So you, you'd always get sort of that, that mixed crew. That's why Port Macquarie was so successful when it was on. It was the perfect meeting point for those two states. But, um, yeah, I do like going to events repeatedly so I can see them change. Um, going to New Zealand was great. It was a two-and-a-half-hour flight. You know, the guys over there really look after us and there was always a new barbecue restaurant to try or a cafe. We did sort of smoke food, so we'd all go, we'd all meet there and check it out. So, no, it was was, was good. Yeah, sounds nice. I'd, I'd love to get over there and, and, and see some of that. And so in, in terms of your competition performance, what do you think is the is the best protein for badass? Like what do you guys just like nail consistently? Um, Country Boys Dan uh, picked up a couple of trophies yesterday. He got number one in wings, uh, I think it was, or chicken. So he, he uses our recipe, and I think that's probably one of the ones that Mitch really perfected. Um, I mean, it, it just depended with... There was a long time there where pork ribs was number one for us. You know, we were we were always winning pork ribs. Couldn't work out why, but we did. Um, I think that's one of those questions where it depends on what moment in time. But I think um, you know, probably chicken was was always very good. Um, Mitch made a red chicken sauce. It was just awesome. Everyone liked it. So, and, and we did get a lot of trophies for that. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, so now I'd like to spend a bit of time just sort of getting into um, all the different uh, rubs and different things that you do in, in like from a business point of view with, with, with Badass. Um, so, I mean, you guys sort of wrote the blueprint um, into, for competition teams getting into rubs here in Australia. You were one of, if not the first, to sort of make that move. Um, it'd be a toss-up between you and Barbecue Mafia, I think, to know who who, who went first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so tell us what went into getting that started. Yeah, so this is when we got back from, from the US. The plug, there it is. There's one of them. Um, so, yeah, we, we wanted to make an Australian one. Um, the way we went about that was we found probably three or four in each category, so three or four all-purpose rubs that we, we were using and were going well. We gave them to a food um, scientist and he broke them down and worked out what was in them and recreated them for, for the Australian market. So we, we Australianized them a little bit. For example, particularly the lamb injection, when we made the lamb injection, there wasn't another lamb injection on the market. So we're definitely the first to do that. And how do you, how do you Australianize a lamb injection that doesn't exist? Well, we got a game injection that we, we liked and was working and then just put a little bit more you know, onion, garlic, mint, rosemary, things that, you know, you associate with Nana's roast, if you like. And that's how the injection was born. But um, look, we, we don't go into, you know, we, we don't make a lot of money out of this. It's more of a hobby for us, but it, there's nothing better than walking into a butcher in, you know, Perth and, and they're selling a rub. So that's why we do it. The other thing is it's good for people to be able to buy something that we know works, but we know it also works Every day we don't put MSG in, um, you know, it's not like it's full, full-fledged full flavour. It's, you know, made to use at home. And the other thing we did, which a lot of rubs are now doing, but we think one of the reasons why it was quite successful is 
on the back we had perfect for pork, chicken, and vegetables. Whereas a lot of these rubs, you'd look at them, and they, you know, you couldn't tell what what you would use them on. So you're constantly looking at the ingredients. So we try to make it really simple so that if you're cooking pork ribs, that will work. Or if you're cooking steak, there's a steak one. You know, um, we didn't have a lot in the range, but that was our thinking, and I think that helped us sell quite a few. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Is that you need to sort of keep it as as simple as possible. Um, yeah. I, I remember seeing. Uh, I can't remember who I was speaking to, but they were telling me that um, Big Mo's rubs were going really well because his are just named pork rub, beef yep. rub, chicken rub. And, and it's just so simple when customers go to the store and they just see it right on the bottle there. So that's a really interesting point. Um, and, and it is. Yeah, you've got to, got to make it simple because now you, if you're, you know, your rub is on a wall with, it's just a sea of sameness. There's 50 different rubs. So you, you've got to work out which one's for you. And I know people... Perhaps people will go buy this because they've, they've heard of our brand because we've been around for a while, but a lot of people, you know, it gets confusing. So you want to make it as simple as possible for, for those punters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think it is that 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 has made your rub so successful? Because when I do travel around to barbecue competitions, every other team I can see bottles of badass barbecue there. What do you th- or, or how do you think you've you've made yours so successful? Oh, look, I think, it, I think they work. I think Mitch spent a lot of time on making them, you know, made to try we tried to make them for, to win competitions um but also made it so that you could use it you know we've got caterers who buy it for, for for their barbecue catering so um i don't know it was it because it was accessible because we were lucky enough to get into all the low and slow butcher shops and low and slow barbecue shops early on so you know it's all about brand in the hand people saw it they were able to you know, buy it, then it's on the shelf, they need to run out, they go get more. Is it the accessibility? Um, look, I, I honestly think it's because it, it works and people, you know, really enjoy it. Not to say it's the best on the market. There's a lot of other ones out there now. Um, the Butcher's Axe guys are doing a fantastic job. Um, I must say, every time I look, there's a new one on the in the range. It's hard to keep up, but I think their fe- the feedback on those are getting really good. And then obviously, look, there's, there's American ones on the market that are, that are very good. Um, for sale here in Australia, so um, I still think that Plowboy's Yardbird goes really well in chicken. Um, don't even need to sauce it; just put Plowboy's Yardbird all over your your chicken wings. Throw them in the smoker; they come out. They taste awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff, isn't it? So, what are yeah. some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from from the process of of uh, setting up a rub business? Um, the hardest part of it is, and we've got a supply now that helps us, but it's getting the raw product into the cans. It's not something you can just, I can't just do that here. You're not supposed to. So it has to be done properly. It has to be sealed properly from a food safety side of things. There's not many people, unless you're doing 10,000 units at a time, there's not many people who do the small batch stuff. Or it's that expensive that it ended up costing you money. So that's something we didn't expect. So what we did, we went and bought 200 kilos of each flavor which if you look at that on a pallet, it's a lot of rub. Yeah. <laughs> we're sitting there looking at it going, right, how are we going to get into the thing? All right, we'll call a few people. How many units you may, oh, not, not worth our while, not worth our while. So it, it was a little bit frustrating at that point. Um, so that that's something that we weren't expecting. Um, I don't know. I, look, it's sort of it's one of those things, I just said before, it's a hobby business, and it certainly is. You run into these problems and then, then you, together you solve them. So 
if nothing else, it was a, a good learning experience, you know, for us to go through the process. I mean, if anyone ever wants to get into it themselves, I'd, I'd be wary. There's a lot of others on the market now, so I certainly wouldn't be doing it to make money. But if you, if you need guidance, buddy, give us a call. Give the Butcher's Axe guys a call. I'd say they're probably, you know, they're probably the biggest selling rub, barbecue rub in Australia at the moment. Yeah, they are certainly killing it, yeah. So what, mm. what tips would you have for those that are looking to follow in your footsteps? Um, I would just say, you know, I think I think your retail network needs to be solid. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of online stores, but I think you need to be in those top, you know, those key um, barbecue shops, whether you've got to get that in there at a, a discounted rate or, you know, um, think of places like the Low and Slow Meat Co or Super Butcher in Queensland. If you're down in, in Melbourne, you want to be in the Q Club or, 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 or Kelly's or Cha Cha Cha. I think they're really important. You know, once you're in there, you should you should just start selling the, the product if it's a good rub. Um, just buying a thousand cans of rub and then putting it on an unknown website and trying to sell them, I think, would be very difficult. The other thing I would say is we sponsor a lot of teams in the sense we give them free product to use at events. Um, they didn't have to use it, but here, Country Boys Dan, he helped us a lot early on. We helped him out, gave him product. He started winning. So um, obviously there's a lot more than just the rubs or the injections, but you'd have to say that, you know, maybe that gave him the edge he needed to, to win. Country Boys has won almost, you know, every comp that's been been on in on the east coast of Australia. So he, he goes good. Yeah, he does very well, yeah. Um, now, just talking about injections, um, there's not a whole lot of people sort of outside competition teams who would sort of know what they are and what they're for. So could you give us a bit of an idea uh, for what they do and, and why they're important? So, for example, our lamb injection, the reason we, we created that was to obviously have an injection on the market to add flavour, so boost up flavour when you're cooking, say, pulled meats or brisket. So with the lamb shoulder, we would put the lamb injection all the way through and just give that another level of flavour and a, a flavour profile that we sort of fine-tuned, I think I said earlier, a bit of rosemary, garlic, mint, to give it that sort of that roast taste. And the reason you do that through an injection on a rub is with competition barbecue, each judge has one mouthful. So out of that piece of meat that that, that big, that then got cooked down to that big, that much is going to get consumed by the judge. So you want to make sure you get flavour through that whole thing so every mouthful is going to taste good. So that's the whole idea behind injections. No, not a lot of people use them outside competition barbecue. And I'll be honest, I wouldn't be injecting my meat at home. Um, there's a good good recipe from uh, Mo Kaysen, who's been out to Australia a few times. He injects a pork shoulder with 1.25 litres of Coca-Cola. Um, right. And that's his secret recipe. He does it during comp as well. I've actually tried that and it was very good. I think, yeah, that's a, that's a good little trade secret from, from Mo Kaysen. But, um, yeah, I think injections are best left with um, comp. However, barbecue is all about the theatre. So if it impresses your mates, you better do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do see some of those. Um, uh, I've, I've seen a couple of them here. They're like multi, multi-point multi injectors and you just sort of yeah, grab it yeah, in your yeah. fist and you and it just yeah, looks yeah. like Wolverine and you're punching them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be good for show it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one of the other things that, that you guys do in terms of the business side of um, Badass Barbecue is you do a lot of classes. 
So um, what do you like to teach in those classes? The, um, we got into that early on through our affiliation with Barbecue's Law because we went to them with our hat in our hand and said, yeah, we've got no money, but we want to go and compete overseas. So they really helped us out. And they said, well, we can't just give them the money. You need to do some classes for us. So no worries. And the classes went from a few demos out the front of the stores to full-fledged paid. We'd have a few beers. We'd do a four-hour class, show people, you know, from start to finish American-style barbecue. The idea of that was if you had never lit a barbecue before, you'd come along and by the end of it, you could be cooking loads of so barbecue. So it went from us selling classes of 20, oh, we better put it up to 25. We'd sell them out. We better do it to 30. So class of 30. I think I've sold that out that we needed to do two days. So Rosie and I would be flying to Perth and doing a whole weekend of classes um, because there was demand there back, back when we were doing it. And still, you know, we were always getting harassed to do classes and I love doing it. It's just, you know, you can only be in so many places at once. And that's what I say to people. One of the most satisfying things is teaching someone a new skill and everyone's got it in them that, that has done a competition. They know a lot more than the person, you know, who's trying to learn. So I really do think there's a, you know, a need for more classes. I think people will get a lot of reward from doing them. And just, just lastly, I think the other thing you want to look at is how can you benefit from that in the sense that can you work with your butcher and do classes at the butcher shop? So the upside for the butcher is he'll sell more meat, particularly low and slow meat, gets more people into that scene. He sells more meat, he's happy. Um, it's things like that I think people need to think about if you're trying to raise money to go to a competition in Moyala, you want to, you know, perhaps work with your sponsors and butchers are usually a competition team sponsor and see if you can uh, help each other out. And that's a good way of you, you know, nothing better than showing someone a new skill, like I said, but maybe there's some, some financial investment from the, the butcher shop to help you do it, which in turn helps you, you know, progress in that, that competition scene. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about that quid pro quo, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you've done heaps of classes. You've been all around the country doing them. What's the best class you've ever done? Like, what's been the most fun, the the, the largest, or I, I don't know? I'd have to say that we, yeah, there's a couple actually. We did a class, um, Rosie and I did a class in an unnamed barbecue store in Perth. Uh, and we had a lady and a guy who came, who'd had a few drinks before. And the lady was actually sick in the class, which was quite funny. Oh. On the alcohol. <laughs> Then we had one in Bundle in Queensland. We had to throw someone out because they were drunk. Now, we, we weren't feeding these people alcohol. They turn up drunk, by the way. Um, one of my favourite class, I did one down in Wyala, um, which I just mentioned, funnily enough. Wyala was probably my favourite class. It was just these guys, you know, your typical low and slow crew, really down to earth, blokes, blokes. They all came along. Um, I flew to Adelaide, got a lift with Rick Carr around to Wyala. And it was just, yeah, the boys really, because nothing like that had ever come to Wyala before, you know. Very rarely the, you know, barbecue class down there. So I really enjoyed that. We were able to do a full, you know, cook and show run the ins and outs. We stayed there that night. Um, yeah, not a bad little town. I'd, I'd like to go back one day. Um, but as far as a class format, the, the one we had at the tail end of, our relationship with barbecues galore was very much 
we perfected the class. For your everyday punter who may be just dabbling, it was all about the intro to low and slow. It was the different types of cookers. Most importantly, it was the accessories. So things you, you needed to cook American-style barbecue at home. Then we roll through a couple of uh, recipes and we do a wrap-up and a Q&A. And the way we ran that class was just perfect. Everyone got to see the process, cooking process. We'd have everything pre-cooked, ready to go. So you'd actually do the, your 12-hour cook in 12 minutes. And uh, everyone got, you know, a lot of value out of those and never really got any complaints. The feedback was always good. Yeah, that sounds like a great class to go to, yeah. yeah. And so do you think that that's what makes badass classes so badass? <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, you know, I, 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 go to, I go to these classes sometimes. I did my first one for the year down here at uh, Cranbourne. But it's funny, I use the same jokes. And I've started doing classes with, with Scott and I've, I've done classes with, with quite a few people. And they just look at me and roll their eyes because I roll out the same jokes every time. But um, I don't know, it's good fun. You know, we, we, everyone who does them with me loves doing them. And uh, I'm hoping we'll be doing more this year. There was a bit of a, obviously, a stop with COVID. No, no gatherings out in front of barbecue shops, unfortunately, but hopefully that'll go away shortly and we can get back into it. Yeah, fingers crossed, mate. Now, as we said before, you guys have really done a lot of pioneering here in Australia with your rubs and your injections and yeah. your classes as well. Where do you stand on people using the term masterclass? It, it seems to be a really popular term. It's it, it's no longer just a barbecue class. It's a masterclass. So yeah. where do you where do you stand on the use of that word? Because I've heard some people um, get a bit. Um, uh, they think they, they they feel like it's a bit controversial. Yeah, sure. Well, they're a bit precious about the word masterclass. Yeah. Um, look, if there's actually a um, I saw an ad, funnily enough, for a barbecue class with um, um, oh, his name is Satan from Austin. He's got the barbecue restaurant, Franklin's. He's oh, doing yeah. barbecue classes online. Um, and I think the company that's doing it is called Masterclass. So um, that, I think, is a masterclass. You can do a masterclass in whiskey. You can do a masterclass in... Creative writing, you know, you know, I, I don't think there's any issue using that word. I think it's a good way to explain what it is. Um, am I a barbecue master? Probably not, but I call it a masterclass. I think, uh, yeah, good question. Be interested to see what, what people's feedback is. Yeah, I think it sort of ties into that argument about um, when do you get to label yourself a pit master? Yeah, as well. Yeah, again, interesting one. Um, I don't know. I might leave that one alone. I think that's, it's open to interpretation, that's for sure. Yeah, it is, it is, yeah. So now that COVID is, uh, it's not under control, but it's it's on the wind up here in Australia. We're sort of, we're we're almost through it all. Um, Where, like, what sort of plans does does Badass have for for opening up more classes and uh, and getting back around the country again? Yeah, so um, we've got nothing set in concrete yet. I, uh, I relocated out of Sydney down to South Gippsland in country Victoria. Um, it was time for me to make a move. I had enough of, of, of living in Sydney. I'm just I'm still working up there, so I commute back and forth. But I, um, I'd i like to do more classes out in the bush. I, I like it down here. Um, I'm not far from Traralgon. It's, it's sort of an hour and a half north of where I am. So that's um, somewhere I'd like to get to and do small classes with the guys there, perhaps at Barbecue Galore. 
Um, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to do a few more local classes. It, it was probably getting a little bit tiring. And it wasn't until I did the one at Cranberry the other day, which I absolutely loved, and everyone who came had such a hoot. But I was tired after it. I was like, I used to fly with Rosie. We used to go like, to the other side of the country and do these, and then get a red eye back and then go to work. I don't know how we did it. But I think, you know, and there's definitely, there's, it's time for the new new generation of guys that are cooking because the way I do it perhaps isn't not the, you know, not the best way. I've got my way that works. We sort of try and sort of see who else can come out and, you know, they've got a different story, a different method, different process. You've got to get them out there and uh, get them to show, you know, the way they've learned. And um, I think there's a lot of upside for people, more people doing classes because, like I said before, it's one of the most satisfying things showing someone a new skill. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Willie, we're now in the third segment, which is our lesson for the viewers and the, and the listeners. Um, so you want to give us some tips for classes and demonstrations. So I'm, I'm going to just sort of throw it open to you and you can share some wisdom with us. Okay. Um, well, like I said before, I, if I was starting out again and I wanted to go to five competitions a year, let's face it, you're probably talking about spending 10 grand across those with travel, meat, accessories, charcoal, all that stuff. That's how much it costs to get to these things, right? So 10 grand. My wife's not going to let me spend 10 grand. Where am I going to get that money from? So I would suggest to people, go out and work with, find a sponsor. And it might start off with, okay, I'm going to work with this butcher. He's only giving me half price, you know, meat for my events. I didn't return for that. I'm going to go out and do a demo at the front and cook up a brisket and show everyone how I did it and, you know, hand it out. And hopefully that butcher will then sell 10 biscuits that weekend. But then maybe saying, look, let's try and do more. Let's try and do, you know, a couple of demos. I'll do a couple of different proteins and we'll try and, you know, get more people interested in this line of sight. So all of a sudden he says, all right, well, maybe I can, you know, give you free meat and a couple hundred bucks for your time. So I think that's the sort of relationship you've got to build with your sponsors. And um, he gets a lot of benefit from that. But uh, as as will you, hopefully you get to get to those five competitions. You know, not everyone's got an unlimited supply of money and that's probably the hardest thing about this is so much fun. Going to an event, catching up with the boys. I often say to people, it's like MasterChef meets camping. That's what it is, you know. Um, a really good time, but it is expensive. That's the bummer. And I hope to God it never becomes a rich man's sport where really wealthy people turn up with, you know, the best meat, the best cookers. You, you know, I, I'd hate to see that, you know, anyone will get an unfair advantage because of money. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's my lesson. That's my life lesson in masterclasses. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, just, uh, just sort of starting at the start there, you were talking about, talking with a butcher and negotiating what you're going to do for, for what and all that sort of stuff. Um, how does one go about calculating the value of what one's offering to the, oh, yeah. to the butcher shop? Like, 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 how do you weigh that scale? Yeah, I, I look, that's something you'd need to workshop with him. But I definitely think, you know, I think is if he's selling lots of, you know, if he's selling lots of meat, he's getting some benefit and financial gain. I think there's a way you can sort of work out you know, some sort of split there. Um, I think, I personally think an introduction to low and slow masterclass, I reckon that should be around the $100 mark um, just because I think that's fair. Now, that's not getting five courses of barbecue. 
no one can make that work, but that's just a little taster. Maybe one chicken wing, a little piece of brisket, one bone pork rib, you know, sort of gives you one little bit of barbecue. Sure, a more comprehensive competition class, totally agree it should be around three, 400, I've seen them. Um, because you're getting a lot more for your money, a lot more knowledge, a lot more, you know, info. Uh, and obviously you're cooking a lot of meat over a long period of time. So whereas those short form classes, a little taster, that's, um, you know, for your knowledge and your time, hundred bucks is about the money, I reckon. Yeah, very nice. And how do you go about um, like planning a lesson? Like what are some essentials? What are some things that, that the people try and pack into a lesson that they don't need to um, when they're creating these these barbecue lessons of their own? Yeah, I think um, the one thing that always gets left out, which I think is really important, is accessories, things you can't live without. And the accessories on my list is an instant read thermometer, of course, good gloves, you know, cotton gloves that go under your nitro gloves, stuff like that. Explain to people you can get good foil at, you know, at Costco or there's some at Bunnings now as well. Those are the sort of things that a lot of people miss out on in a class and then, you know, they're, they're probably some of the most important things. Other than a barbecue, the most important thing I think is an instant read thermometer. Whether you're cooking chicken or you're cooking steak or you're cooking brisket, there's a use for that and that's the only thing that can tell you if it's one safe to eat or two uh, medium rare or the tenderness is right. So um, I think that's really important. I think those accessories are probably the most important in my, my view. Yeah, I did a presentation um, on the fly once at a barbecue competition where there was a fellow who was supposed to do a to do a session and he um, he cancelled at the last minute and I had all my, my gear there for when I was doing my cooking demonstrations and I just laid all the gear out on the table and I broke it down into a wants, needs and must-haves. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and just talked about that and people loved it. They got to come up and have a look at everything and sort of, you know, pick it up and heft it for weight and feel it in their hands and stuff and that, that works really right. well. Just something as simple as an instant read thermometer. It doesn't even have to be instant read, just a meat thermometer. You know, it's still, you go like this, you stick it in, and it'll tell you if it's medium rare. They go, really? Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. It's easy. So, you know, when people when people learn this stuff, you know, they, they get a kick out of it. And yeah, I must say, you know, there was probably a point where I didn't realise that's what they did. And once you learn that, it's like, oh, you cook a perfect steak every time. No worries. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Now, one of the most essential things, um, our, uh, one of the most essential components of a of a barbecue class is picking the right venue. So when you guys are, are looking around, what are yeah. you looking for in a, in a venue? Well, there's no better spot than a barbecue shop. Why? Because you've got every type of cooker there. You've got all the accessories there. So that from that side, it's really good. Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I've done classes. I did a class in Werribee at a pub, the Park Hotel, with Grant Neal from Adelaide. That was a hoot. Um, you know, I've done classes in, in barbecue shops. I've done them in butcher shops. Um, you know, I think there's no real right or wrong place, but it's certainly, you know, I'd love to do a class at the, at the steps at the Opera House one day maybe. That's pretty cool. How good would that be? But um, maybe on Australia Day one year or we could, you know, Light up, get a couple of blokes down there, and we'll, we'll do a big open class. And then get on, the phenomenal. Beer, get on the beers at Opera, Opera Bar afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And are there any considerations like insurances and things that um, that people putting on these master classes would need to consider? Yeah, so um, it's a good question. Each state has a different food um, safety 
protocol. So um, you're supposed to have your food food handlers in, in Victoria, um, food safety certificate in, in New South Wales. Um, you do need to check with that, but for the most part, sampling at a barbecue shop, you know, they're allowed to do it. You can do sample food, obviously, you know, you, you want to try and make sure it's food safe. And, and if someone, you know, burns their hand on a barbecue out the front, that would be covered under the barbecue shop's insurance, you'd hope. But um, there's not really anything. It's sort of, it is a blurry line in between food sampling through to catering. There's there's no, no sort of in between. Um, so look, yeah, it is a bit of a grey area, I must say. And, and I guess everyone's just got to try and do the right thing, you know, wear gloves, make sure, you know, uh, the, the area working is food safe, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I think that's just common sense, really. Yeah, no doubt about that. So what would you say would be your, your number one most important um, tip for people building their own masterclasses? Well, like I said before, making sure you include accessories. I think don't make it too long, especially if you're doing introduction. I think, you know, you don't need to do an eight-hour class to show someone how to light a fire. I think you can do that in, you know, a couple of hours. And I, I do think you need to have as many courses as, as practical. For example, we often do a lamb shoulder rather than a pork shoulder just because I think people like lamb. We do lamb shoulder. We'll do brisket or short ribs. Um, and the interesting thing is those two courses essentially, same thing. So whether you're cooking a pork shoulder, beef short ribs, brisket, or, or lamb shoulder, the cooking process is the same. Smoke for four hours, wrap it, and wait for the tendons to come up and, and you're done. That's what we explain to people. Don't complicate it with internal temperatures. At this point, internal temperatures, it just gets confusing. Smoke for four hours, wrap it. Don't worry about the bark, it'll be fine. And once it's tender enough, once the you know meat's pulling away from the bone, you know, you know it's done. Um, that's it. No more complicated than that. And that's that's how we roll out our classes. So make it very simple. Try and do as much, you know, show them as much as you can in that period. But at the same time, not, not making it so long that people are just sitting there, perhaps having too much to drink and and, and you know, not enjoying it because they're we're hanging there waiting for the next step. So, <laughs> and and don't and, and just make sure they're not throwing up on themselves in the yeah, aisles yeah. there. <laughs> I have that as our food. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Alrighty, so we're going to jump across now and and have a look at some of the comments and questions that have been coming in. Okay. And uh, the first one we've got here is from Macca from Macca Knife Rolls. He just says, "G'day, Willie. See you soon for a beer. I'm sure. I think he's uh he's." Feeling a bit uh, cooped up with lockdown there. Yeah, good on him, uh, Macca. I bought a knife roll off Macca and he put my name on it. It looks awesome still to this day. It's been around the country a couple of times with me. Um, got to hand it to him. That's a good, real deal Australian company that, that handcrafted leather goods. Yeah, no, couldn't be happy with it. He was so chuffed when he, he made up a couple of knife rolls for some of the celebrities that have come out over the years. Mo, Tuffy, all that. And they've all got one now, so nah, good on him. Always been a supporter of Macca. He's a good bloke. He is, yeah. I've I've got uh, my knife rolls just sort of tucked under the edge of the desk here as well. They're absolute yep. works of art. Beautiful yep, stuff. absolutely. Now, you did mention um, uh, Butcher's Axe Barbecue there before, and Michael himself has actually dropped something in here for us. He said, uh, Big Willie, did you notice 
uh, any differences in preferred cooking styles between the Jack and the Royal? Now, that's an interesting question. It is. Um, this is something we, we talked a lot about when we went to the Royal. So we were told that the Texas-style, Tennessee-style barbecue was, you know, more salty, savoury style of barbecue, and Kansas City was more sweet, saucy. Um, that's what we were told. That's what that's how we, we, we cooked to that. Whether or not, look, it was very hard to, to know how we went. Like I said, we missed one hand in. Um, it's it's one of those things, but that, that's what everyone was telling us, you know. So on one night when we were at the 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 Jack, we went to Byron's Butt Ranch, they call it. So Byron's Byron's Butt Run, and we got to meet a lot of guys. Like Myron Mixon was there, and a few other of the veterans of barbecue over there. They were explaining different sort of this is how you need to cook it. You know, the judges here like it this way, and the same thing when we got to Kansas City. Or you've got to make sure, you know, a little bit of extra sauce, a little bit sweeter for the Kansas City. Yeah, and we would go out and try barbecue around Kansas City when we were there for the Royal. And it was interesting to see. It gives you, um, I guess, a perspective on what what um, style of cooking you need to present for them. So it's a good question. That's what we were told. That's how we cooked. I don't know. I have to find out. We'll have to go back and have another crack. Yeah. Need to do some more uh, R&D. Yep. Tax deductible. Very nice. Oh, yeah. I wish. <laughs> All righty. So I'm, I'm going to uh, start to uh, wrap up the episode now. So I'm going to throw the studio over to you. Um, take a couple of minutes, give some shout-outs, give some praises, give some thank yous, and tell everybody where they can track uh, you and Badass Barbecue down on the internet. Well, first of all, you can find us on Badass Barbecue Competition Team on Facebook and Instagram. I actually haven't checked, but I assume we're still. You, you got your Facebook page removed, didn't you? Because you're a, a grubby news outlet. Oh, yeah. Let's not get into that. <laughs> no, it's, um, so we're on Facebook and Instagram. Please follow us. Um, we usually publish where we're doing classes and the like. Um, the issue we've got at the moment is we're just waiting for COVID sort of just to relax slightly. So I think it's all going to come back at the same time in a sense. You've got competitions coming back, there'll be festivals on. The classes will come back, which which will be good. Um, I don't know if the vaccine will have anything to do with that. I don't know if they'll sort of sort out the issue is people coming back from overseas, getting out of hotels and giving us, you know, grief, lockdowns and things. So I don't think that's far off. So we'll be we'll be competing. I don't know if we'll be going to compete in America for quite some time. Um, again, the vaccine going to fix that. I don't know. Everyone's got a different opinion. But um, that I'm looking forward to this year. We're also working with a brand called Kraken, um, which is a spiced rum uh, product. If you go into celebrations this month and purchase um, any Kraken product, I think over 20 bucks, you're going to a draw to win a masterclass with us. We're doing 10 masterclasses, you know. Um, they'll probably be virtual, but that's something we've been working with um, a few brands on, and that, that's fun. So celebration bottle shops are, are pretty much accessible anywhere. There's even one in my little country town where I live, so... It's um, that's exciting. Looking forward to doing more of that stuff. But again, there's a reward for someone. You know, they can, they can do a class, and apparently we're going to be sending out like a, everything they need, so rubs and sauces, what meat they need, and yeah, we do the class probably virtually, which will be fun. Um, shout out! Oh, look, the list is long. All I would say is, I've got met some of my my best mates through barbecue, whether they're butchers or barbecue shop owners or 
fellow competitors or blokes who help me with the classes. There's there's hundreds of them. And um, that's one of the things I really like about, you know, the whole barbecue scene. Good mix of people, you know, interesting characters, a lot of smart people. I've noticed that the competition attracts often your um, your IT guys, your accountant guys, people who, you know, love following process and, and, and that's something that's quite interesting. You notice that, you know, everyone's got their gadgets and toys and tricks and techniques and stuff that they bring to these events. And then you've got the other end of the scale, which is your very much everyday Aussie that loves live fire cooking, loves drinking beers, you know, loves the sound of their own voice. And, and that's the thing I love about it. You get to meet all these people, you know, at one place at one time. And, yeah, I can't wait for, for the next event I'll get to. It was a shame we didn't get over to Adelaide this weekend, but I'm sure they're all having a good time there now or a few headaches, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's been their first comp there in a in a long time. There'll be quite yeah. a lot of uh, celebrations happening, I dare say. Yeah, so, no, that was um, always a good event. And, you know, maybe next year I'll get back over there and see all the guys there. It's always a hoot, Adelaide. So, yeah, no, but uh, thanks for everyone who's listening and watching and good to chat to you, mate. Yeah, you too, buddy. Thanks for coming on board and thank you for, for taking time out on a Sunday to hang out here and talk barbecue with us. And there you have it, family. That was Big Willie from Badass Barbecue. How good is that guy? He's one of the uh, one of the legends of the Australian barbecue scene, so it was great to have him here on the show. Um, okay, so we're just going to round things out now. Um, I'm just going to quickly remind you before I let you go, Barbicon is coming, the world's first virtual online barbecue conference, June 26 and 27. The Saturday is going to be all about cooking. We're going to have, uh, we're going to be jumping into different pitmasters' backyards around the country, and they're going to be giving you lessons on on how to on how to cook those briskets, those pork shoulders, all that sort of stuff. And then the Sunday is going to be for all of you out there who are either in or looking to get into barbecue business. We're going to be talking with some. Uh, leaders of industry on on the Sunday and we're going to bring all that together into your lounge room um, so I might have to put together some videos showing people how to connect their computers to their TVs or their phones to their TV something like that because we would love for you to be able to just sort of kick back on the couch grab some chicken wings some uh, you know uh, ABTs and um, and join us for some uh, some barbecue wisdom um, and just a Last couple of quick reminders. The ebook is available for you over on the smokinghotconfessions.com website. Uh, we've got the Facebook community, the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue community. Come join us over there. It's a great group of people. And if you are watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, do give us a like, a share, and a comment. We, um, we love all that sort of stuff. And it really does help us to spread our message and help us share the word of barbecue further because it does trip the algorithms. And all of those different platforms will push us further out there. And that's about it. That's all I got for you today. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>